Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. So, uh, as Josh said uh, last week, three years is a long time to... Uh, to hold course. And he was talking about the fact that as of last week, we finished our three-year journey through, uh, through the Bible. So before we simply move on today, as I mentioned a few moments ago, next week we're starting a nine-week series uh, based on Micah 6.8. But today, before we move on to that, I am, I am excited about that too, but uh, I, I thought let's take a little bit of time and reflect back a little bit. And, and um, I want to do three things uh, this morning with you in this time, this message time. Uh, sort of like three, three parts, if you will. One, I want to highlight a few of our, uh, our goals and our core convictions going into the uh, three-year journey through the Bible. And uh, also some of the convictions that we gained or convictions that we had strengthened as a result of our three-year journey through the Bible as we surveyed the landscape of Scripture, if you will. Secondly, I want to highlight some of the most important or most, sorry, most impactful um, times along the way. Um, At least they were impactful for me, and I trust that that you also uh, uh, benefited from them. And then thirdly, I'd like to uh, share just a few thoughts and a few scriptures on the subject of the Word of God and preaching, if I could do that. Because we did have a, a life group curriculum for the three years and, 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 and a devotional track, but really the sermon time is kind of the engine that drove, the, to drove us through the, uh, the, th- the past three years, uh, because the preaching of the word is, is, is central to our life together as a church uh, in the community of faith that we enjoy together. So, so first off, uh, I'm going to ask you to pray with me, and uh, if, you, if you would pray along with me this morning and ask God's blessing on our time, would you do that? Thank you, Lord, for t- this morning. And though our, our thoughts are sometimes scattered, Lord, we thank you that you are so faithful and so uh, clear and so um, focused on your uh, will for our lives. Uh, Lord, we just, we just exalt you today. We just lift up the name of Jesus and ask that you would bless this time, that it would be profitable, that it would be benef- a benefit to your people that you would use your word this morning uh, in the way that you love to do, to impact uh, the hearts of men and women and young people for you with, you with your gospel. So we just, we dedicate this time, this message time to you this morning, Lord, and to your purposes in our lives. And we ask that you would be our teacher and that you, by your spirit, would use your word to affect your will in our lives and in this world today. In Jesus' name, amen. Just a few convictions. I think back. It was a big thing for us. You know, three years 
uh, it was quite an undertaking, really. And uh, it was something we hadn't done before. I mean, we preached around the Bible, preached books of the Bible, do different things, series of messages. But to, to start at the very beginning and go all the way through was a, a, a significant undertaking and one that stretched me out. And, and uh, I went in to this with a little bit of fear and trepidation. And, but, but we had some, some convictions going in. And one of the things that uh, goals, convictions, whatever you want to call them, but one of the goals we had uh, was to study Scripture together as a church. You know, personal growth is a community project. We don't just kind of grow along by ourselves as individuals. Doesn't doesn't work that way. At least not in the kingdom of God. Doesn't work that way. And we really wanted to study the Scripture together as a church and grow together uh, in our study of the Word of God. And so we we used the curriculum from our children's program, the Gospel Project curriculum. So that kids and adults, all of us together, could be learning together, the same material at the same time, obviously different levels, but whatever. And, uh, and we had life group uh, materials as well and, and that we made available. Not all of our groups stayed with it for three years, but some did, and, and uh, many groups did parts along the way. But, but that was our goal going in, to study the scripture together. Scripture together. Another, another goal that we had going in was that we wanted to study the whole Bible to get a context, uh, the context of the storyline of the Bible from the beginning to the end, the story of redemption. Um, to understand the parts of the Bible in relation to the whole. And then to seek to apply that learning to our, our everyday lives. And... Uh, that was important to us and is important to us. A question I, I uh, kept asking some of you who made this journey with us, if you think back a couple of years ago, the question I kept asking pretty regular on Sunday mornings was, was the question, can we understand the New Testament without a good without a knowledge of the Old Testament? Uh, some of you will remember me asking that question repeatedly. But do you remember the answer that I gave? <laughs> the answer to the question, can we understand the New Testament without a knowledge of the Old Testament? The answer is yes, but not well. I believe that a person could pick up a Bible and read John 3.16 and come to personal faith in Jesus Christ and have their life impacted. I believe the gospel is, is, uh, is simple, not simplistic, but it's simple in the sense that a child can come to know God through faith in Jesus Christ based on his word. But, but to understand the New Testament well, we really need an understanding of the Old Testament. I love that statement that, that uh, Paul makes in Acts chapter 20 to the Ephesian elders when he talks about the whole counsel of God. So that's, there's such a deepness and such a richness to the Bible. And... Um, Related to these outcomes, we had a number of convictions. I, I call them big convictions because I think they, they, are, they are big. One of, uh, one of those convictions that uh, led us into the journey and kept us going on it um, was that, that the conviction that God has given us his word because God's word is what we need. 
And uh, Christians are people of the book. Uh, we don't worship the Bible. That would be uh, bibliolatry. Uh, worshiping the, the, the gift more than the giver. But life is relationship, and God has chosen to communicate with us through his word. And we need the word of God. And if I could put just a, a finer point on that this morning, there is a, a great temptation to approach the Bible like a sort of spiritual encyclopedia. It kind of works like this. You know, we have uh, the Bible, and it's there on the shelf or the table, what have you, and uh, we go about our lives, and uh, should we come into a problem or, or, or a situation where we, we uh, sense a, a, a need for help from God, we simply go uh, to the Bible, and we maybe look up the table of contents to see where, what topic is covered in Scripture, or maybe we have one of those handy-dandy uh, little tools that they used to have with the New Testaments that tell you where to go if. And you go and you, and you open up the Bible, you find what you think you need from God, and then you go there and you get what you need and you go on your way. And uh, it's been called uh, different things, but one of the terms that sometimes it gets referred to as uh, buffet style. You like buffets? I love buffets. Right? It's all about the choice, right? Yeah, it's, it's amazing, it's wonderful. But, but when we approach the Word of God, that's probably not the best way to approach it. I, I know there may be times when that's, it's okay to do that. I, I wouldn't say that, it, that it's never okay to do that. But, but when you think about it, that's a pretty man-centered approach. Uh, a pretty uh, human-centered approach to, uh, to the Bible. It, it, it seems it's more like me telling God what I need than it is allowing God to show me what I need. Because God has given us his word, and I think we need to take a step back sometimes and just take the posture in our lives of letting God tell us his story. The good news, the bad news, tell us all, and that's what we've attempted to do in these past three years, going from the beginning to... Uh, to the end, because the Bible is more is less like a, a spiritual encyclopedia and more like a like a, a, a historical novel that God has given to us with with commentary. And there's this critical storyline. You understand? There's a critical storyline of events, historical events that really uh, form the the framework for all, all this for all Scripture. And all of the, what we might call more didactic or teaching materials in Scripture, um, they're based on the events of that storyline. Uh, sometimes over the past three years, we get, people would ask questions uh, uh, at different points. I know uh, when the COVID crisis hit, people would, uh, my, some of my uh, friends would say, what, you know, what are you preaching these days? Uh, and then shortly after we were starting to deal with the whole COVID pandemic situation with the restrictions and so on, we had that mass murder that took place in our, in our area. And again, people were saying to me, you know, what are you guys preaching on these days? 
And um, I want to read a, an email. Uh, no, it wasn't an email. It was a message on Messenger, I guess it was, uh, that I received during that time. This was um, sent uh, April 27th of 2020. Now, uh, you may recall that the, the, uh, the uh, mass uh, murders took place on the, the 18th and 19th of April of 2020. And this was a message I received April 27th from a, a friend of ours. She says, I have struggled through this pandemic with the fact that the majority of churches we have tapped into online have altered their sermons to react to this crisis. Instead of just preaching the word of God and letting it fall on the right soil of people's hearts, I found that the messages are being focused on fear or struggles or storms. In truth, I'm frustrated. I find that any message that is designed to react to the circumstances around our world ends up being weak in a lot of ways. When we have in mind something that we feel we need to address and then go searching for God's word to support us, we do a major disservice to the power of the scriptures. So all that being said, I stand in awe of God because obviously there is absolutely no way anybody could have predicted the scenarios of the last eight days. And yet, as you said, with a minor bit of flux, John 1 was the passage designed for yesterday. Josh preached that message uh, the week after uh, the, uh, the fatalities. Sometimes we think we need to see miracles in a physical sense, but to me, this scenario is such an incredibly powerful testimony about the perfect timing of God. And I have prayed that, be that because of this illustration, uh, of God's perfect timing, I will be more willing to allow him to lead and guide me throughout today. And you might be thinking that I wrote that because it certainly sounds like the point I was, I was trying to make, but that was actually uh, Melissa, Melissa Leader. Melissa, what's her, what's her maiden name? Benson, Leader. And uh, she wrote that. And uh, I don't save all the notes I get, but I saved that one because I think it really makes, uh, it has something important to say to us. And and again, I'm not saying that we should never go to the Bible and say, Lord, I, you know, I really need, I feel, I'm feeling anxious. I really need something. I need you to, to, to give me something for the anxiety in my life. It's not wrong to do that. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying we have to be careful that we, how we approach Scripture. And we need to, to be um, humble as we approach God and humble ourselves before him and just be willing to sit at his feet and let him tell us what we need. Because all Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable. That's what, that's what it says in 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to get there in a, in a, in a moment or two. But um, our culture is all about choice, right? I mentioned the whole buffet thing. You know, we, we love having choices. And we, we associate our choices with our rights. And we tend to associate our rights with our desires. And we value the right to choose uh, for ourselves above even uh, any concept of authority a lot of the time. But how does that compare with the submissive heart of a Christian that just wants to sit at Jesus' feet and say, Jesus, tell me, guide me. You guide me. You give me what I need. And I think that's how we, we, we need to approach the Bible. That's a, a conviction um, that, of mine. Um, we also uh, discovered some amazing things about the Bible as a whole on the way through. Um, you know, we discovered there were parts that we'd like to skip over. One of the problems with 
approaching the Bible the way we tend to approach it as a spiritual encyclopedia or as a you know, whatever, is that we, we get selective and we go to the parts that eat the, the parts we like, the parts that make us feel good, the easy parts. And as a result, we, you know, we go looking for the good news and we skip over the bad news. And, and you know what? Uh, there's a lot of um, parts in the Bible that are hard. But if we, if we simply choose what we want to hear, guess what happens? I think you know what happens. And uh, I, I hope we've discovered in our journey through the Bible that the hard parts in the Bible hold critical lessons for us. E even while we struggle to understand and to reckon uh, with the truth of them, they're important. They're part of the story. They're there for a reason. If God didn't think we should have them, he wouldn't have given them to us. So struggling through those hard parts has been hard, but it's been important. And I think it's, uh, I think it's an important uh, point to make. We discovered that the Bible is progressively built from start to finish on the events of the narrative. I mentioned this already, and it's critical that we understand the parts in the context of the whole story so that we are understanding the parts correctly. Because I hope that you know by now... Um, if you haven't known it for a long time, that you can lift things out of a page of Scripture and get it to say all kinds of wild and wonderful things. Simply by taking it out of its context and not being aware of its context. And that includes the overall context of the whole Bible. That we, you know, biblical students, students of the Bible talk about immediate context and, and uh, remote context. The whole Bible is one, one book and is tied together by one storyline. And uh, I hope that uh, you'll appreciate the importance of interpreting the parts in light of the whole so that we correctly interpret the parts, so that we don't grab a verse and run off and use it to, to come up with all kinds of conclusions that aren't in keeping with what God is trying to communicate to us. That, that is also really important. We discovered that Jesus really is the center of the Bible. That it really is all about him. And that he is what we need. And that's why God has given us his word. Because God knows what we need. And we've discovered that scriptures are completely relevant for us today. All of the scriptures are relevant for us today. Now, some of the most impactful or more impactful times along the way. We're thinking back here. And you know what? We, we need to think back once in a while. That's what reflection does, right? And it is important. Thinking back on your own life is important. It's pretty hard to repent if you aren't thinking back. <laughs> and we are called to repent, right? Uh, that's just an example. But, but some of the more impactful things along the way, I can't begin, possibly begin to talk about most of those in, uh, in the 20 minutes or so that's remaining, but I want to mention a few to you. The providence of God. Uh, the purpose of the Word of God is to reveal God to us. That's his number one uh, uh, 
purpose in giving us his word. He wants us to, to know him, to know what he's like, to know who he is, to know how he feels about us, and, uh, and what he's done for us. He wants us to know those things. So the providence of God, um, you know, uh, reading through, studying the patriarchs, uh, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, um, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. That's how God introduces himself to Moses. That's God's track record, if you will. And uh, how he provided in the, in the lives of those, those patriarchs. And uh, you may recall... If you've been with us on this journey, you might recall last October, we looked at Mark chapter 12, where Jesus quotes that exact scripture. And uh, it's, it, it, it's amazing. Do you remember what Jesus said about that scripture? He was being questioned by the Sadducees about the resurrection. Actually, they were basically implying they were trying to make the teaching of the resurrection look silly. Because they didn't believe in the resurrection. And, and Jesus quoted that scripture and, and said to them, He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. The Bible ties all ties together. And it is an amazing, amazing account of the amazing providence of God. God will provide himself a lamb. Remember that? Uh, Genesis 22, the life of Abraham and Isaac. The providence of God. Um, when we were studying the life of Moses uh, and, the, and the wilderness material, and the wanderings in the wilderness, I gleaned so much of my, of my own understanding about leadership when we were uh, in, in that material. I, I've been in this particular position I am in today in this church as a pastor here for 33 years, I think. And, uh, and I, I'm still learning so much uh, that, I, that I would have liked to have known a long time ago. But, uh, but I, I realized during that, that study there, and that would be a couple of years back, uh, that, um, that leadership development is like personal development. It's a community experience. Um, it's a community project that just like we grow together, we... Leadership. We developed leadership together, and and uh, uh, at that time we were going through uh, uh, a search process, looking for um, a, a, another pastoral family to bring in. And we've been appreciating Josh and Elsie so much. And uh, but back when we were in, in studying uh, the the, um, the Exodus and the life of Moses, we were we were going through a process, and it was quite an involved process. Uh, but God used those those scriptures powerfully in my life, and and as I, as we were able to work as elders and deacons and other leaders in our church, um, that whole concept of shared leadership just was powerful for me, and and uh, I just appreciated it so much. There were so many other things. Uh, the goel knocked my socks off. Do you remember what the goel was? Probably not. That's okay. If I said kinsman redeemer, you might you might click. It might click from the book of Ruth. Um, but I, I, you know, I studied that 
many years ago and, you know, and studied it and appreciated it and was blessed by it. Um, to be redeemed means to be bought back, right? That's what, that's what uh, Jesus did for us. He bought us back. But what I, what I wasn't as clear on as I, as I became clear on when we studied it this time through was uh, goel is the Hebrew word that's translated kinsman redeemer. G-O-E-L in English. Little wee word. Kinsman redeemer. Great big phrase, right? A lot packed in that little word. But it's the idea of buying back, but the part that, 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 uh, that blessed me so much was that Boaz had to prove that he was uh, Ruth's uh, deceased husband's closest relative who was willing to buy her freedom. And that's what Jesus did for us. That's the incarnation. He was willing to identify with us. Hebrews chapter 2 says he is not ashamed to call us his brothers. He was willing to identify with us so that he could be that relative that would purchase our freedom for us. Just powerful Old Testament, Old Testament uh, teaching that really transcends the Old Testament entirely and is fulfilled in the life and love and, uh, and teaching of Jesus. Um, there are so many other things, the, the hesed, the, the, the uh, faithful and unfailing love of God, God's steadfast love, Moses in the cleft of the rock, David and Jonathan's covenant, Psalm 23, the book of Jonah, all those passages talk about the, the hesed, the faithful, unfailing, steadfast love of God. Um, the, the theme of brotherhood and family is another thing that really struck me as we studied through the Bible. Um, right from, you know, Cain and Abel. The first story, if you will, following the really bad news <laughs> is Cain and Abel. More bad news. But tracing it up through, you know, Joseph and his brothers in Egypt, the relationships between the tribes under the judges and then under David and, and uh, uh, Solomon's son Rehoboam and having the, the kingdom ripped in half and, and these brothers saying, that's it, to your tents, O Israel. We don't want anything more to do with the house of David. And that theme that carries right through, right through uh, uh, the history of Israel, Ezra, Nehemiah, the diaspora, uh, even up to the day when Jesus walks onto the pages of the New Testament and he's Jesus of Nazareth because he will be called a Nazarene from the, uh, the land of the Gentiles, uh, Isaiah says. He was rejected by his own people because can anything good come out of Nazareth? That's what they said. Then there's the, you know, the rejection of Jesus. There's the horrible failure of the nation of Israel and the aching expectations and longings for the Messiah to come, which is, takes us into Christmas, right? That really stands out. Uh, Jesus, the master teacher. <laughs> I love studying how he, how he uh, handled those Pharisees and Sadducees and Herodians and, you know, uh, it's just amazing. 
And then, of course, there's the suffering and death and triumph of Jesus, all for us. And then there's the mission to the ends of the earth. Every tribe and tongue and nation, it says in the book of Revelation. God was in Christ, Paul says in, in, uh, in 2 Corinthians, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. And then you, when you read through the book of Acts, you see that affection that developed. Eventually, it, it took a while, because it was a big deal, but the affection between those Jews and Gentiles in Christ. That, uh, what does Paul call it in Ephesians chapter 2? That dividing wall of hostility that Jesus smashed down. And we see it. We get to see it as people who are very, very, very different and had all kinds of reasons to hate each other, wept and prayed together when they had to leave each other. Powerful, powerful. Every tribe, tongue, nation. Reconciled in Christ. The familial terms of the New Testament. God as our Father. Us as brothers and sisters. It's all about relationship. It wasn't, it's, it's all about family. Um, again, that's not anything new, but it's just the depth of it. The depth of it. And then another thing that stood out to, to me in relation to that was how hard it was. I'm, I'm talking about the mission, right? I'm talking about the mission to go and make disciples. We call it the Great Commission. How hard, how hard it was. And I'm not talking about the, the opposition or even the persecution. I'm thinking about how hard it was uh, for those early believers to make pr- gospel progress in their own hearts. You know, Acts chapter 10, where Peter's called to Cornelius' house, we're talking years after the day of Pentecost. I think, if I remember correctly, it's like 10 years. And there's Peter still, still struggling with it, just like Jonah in the Old Testament. There are a lot of comparisons there. Do you remember that between Peter and Jonah? What's that all about? It's all about that reconciliation power of the gospel, but it is not easy. It is not easy for us to make that kind of progress in our own hearts. You know, we have an, an, an enemy, but a lot of times we are our own worst enemy too. And uh, Paul says in uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, that we need to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. And that's what that really is all about, is working out our salvation. When you, the moment... The moment you honestly receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior in your life, you become a new person. You have eternal life. That's what the word says. But that is also the beginning of a lifetime of what Paul calls working out your salvation. What is that? Well, that's the things that God has done for us and then the things God is doing in us. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will continue to perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. You can call it sanctification. If you want to put big words on it, we can talk about justification and sanctification. I'm saying that it's not easy. It's hard. Uh, the book of Philemon was, was amazing 
for me personally. But, and then, you know, I mentioned Josh and how much we appreciate him. You know, it's been so good to have Josh preaching over the course of the last two years. Two years he's been with us. And, uh, and it's just been such a huge blessing to me. Um, you know, uh, last week, evil is through, all is made new, and what? He's going to be really disappointed you didn't get this. Evil is through. All is made new. And there's a seat at the table for you. Thank you, guys. I knew you knew. I, did, I knew you knew. But it's just been such, uh, such a blessing. Okay, so, so here, uh, part three in maybe ten minutes or so. We'll see. Um, some thoughts and scripture on the subject of the Word of God as a whole, and on preaching, if you will. That's rather pertinent because we're here now, and that's what I'm supposed to be doing. That's what I'm constricted to do, is to preach the Bible, to teach the Bible. So I want us to just talk just a little bit about that before we dive into 2 Timothy chapter 3 uh, for a, a quick look there. Uh, what, what we do here is, is what I call pastoral preaching. And you might say, well, what's pastoral preaching? Let me explain a little bit. Um, I obviously don't know all the details of your lives. You're probably thankful for that. Um, but I know many of them. Because we interact. I pray for you. You pray for me. And we live in community. Now, it's not always as close as we'd like it to be. But we live in community together. And the longer I know you, the more I know about you. And vice versa. Does that affect the way the Bible is preached and it absolutely does. Because pastoral preaching is local church context preaching. It's kind of special for that reason. I've shared this a number of times. Uh, I'm going to share it again this morning with you. And that is, is that when I received a call into pastoral ministry that I re- um, sensed from from God upon my life, uh, God used a scripture to do that. And the scripture he used was Mark 6.34. It was actually one verse. And I don't want to lift it out of context, but I was reading through Mark. And when I read this passage, and it's uh, there for you on the screen there, um, it's just like God just did something in my heart right, right then and there. But I've reflected back on this many, many times. But it says, when he, and that's Jesus, went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Pastoral preaching, the word pastor means shepherd, right? Pastoral preaching has a caring and leading function to it. Now, you can listen to other speakers, and there are some amazing, God has gifted uh, the church globally in our day with some amazing communicators. Um, And I can appreciate the uh, skill and the integrity 
and the ability of, of, of these uh, who God has gifted the global church with. Um, but that does not replace or take the place of pastoral preaching. Why? And then here's the reason why. is because those people as gifted as they are do not know you. And that's what makes pastoral preaching different. And I say, I don't know all the details of your life, but I know many of them. And uh, some of you I've known my whole life. Some of you I've known you your whole life, <laughs> one or the other. Um, but remember earlier on I mentioned the fact that personal growth is a community effort. And that, that's what makes, at least it is in the kingdom of God, and that makes pastoral preaching uh, Different. It's the context in the local church. And uh, there's more that I could say about that. But uh, what I, what I, I, I'm going to move on to, to uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Because um, 2 Timothy is one of what we call the pastoral letters or the pastoral epistles. They are letters that Paul wrote to Timothy, who was his young pastoral protege, who was pastoring at uh, Ephesus, I believe, if I'm, I think I'm right on that, and Titus, who was in Crete. And he wrote them uh, to them as pastors in the context of those local churches. So when you read the pastoral epistles, you're reading about uh, pastoral ministry and pastoral preaching. So, with, with that in mind, if you will turn with me, and we won't take a long time on this because I, I, you say, well, are you going to expound from uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3 now? Well, I kinda, kind of already did. Because all the things that, we've, that I've shared with you this morning really is uh, an expounding of 2 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, come there with me if you would. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. I, I gave Dave the wrong scriptures. I hope we get the, that straightened out. I, I had said 1 Timothy. I even have 1 Timothy in my notes, Dave, but, but it's 2 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, so let's just read through 2 Timothy chapter 3. And I invite you to, to read with me. But I understand this. But understand this. Second Timothy chapter 3. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of the self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning, never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth, just as John and Jambres opposed Moses. So these men also oppose the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith, but they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. All I want to say about that, that, those verses, those uh, nine verses, is that that is not a life lived on the Word of God. All of those descriptors are descriptors of how not to base your life 
on Scripture. Because that's the opposite of what Scripture teaches us, how we should live our lives. Are we in the last days? Of course we are. There is no question about that. Verses 10 through 13, you, however, Timothy, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, and my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them the Lord uh, rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Question, how well did Timothy know Paul, and how well did Paul know Timothy? Well, based on what we just read, I would say very well. And that's an important point. Verses 14 through 17. But as for you, continue um, in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and from your childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is read though, that's the goal, right? To make us wise, wise in salvation, uh, for salvation through uh, faith in Christ. All scripture, verse 16 and 17, all scripture is read though by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And then what's the next thing that Paul says? Chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. That's pastoral preaching. That's preaching the word of God because God has given us his word because that's what we need. It is through the word of God that we come to a knowledge of the salvation that is in Christ Jesus. We come to know him. And it is through the word of God that we learn how to live for him. We have come to the end of our time. Jesus prayed to the Father, as recorded in John chapter 17, verse 3, and he prayed this prayer. He said, this is life eternal, that they might know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Do you know Jesus? Do you know him as your Savior? Have you sat at his feet? Have you looked to him for what you really need, not just what you think you might need? Have you allowed him to reveal the truth about himself to you, that he is the Savior and the only Savior, and that he is not only what we need, but all we need? Because he is the subject of this book that God has given us. 
It is all about him. Do you know him? Love that song. Let me tell you about my Jesus. Yeah. That's what we need to be doing. Will you pray with me? Lord, I pray this morning, especially for those who maybe need to make a decision to receive you as Lord, as Savior, to rescue, to forgive. Thank you for your providence, Lord. Thank you for how you have provided a lamb. You provided yourself a lamb. Thank you, Lord, for the incredible reconciling power of the gospel of Jesus Christ by which you were in Christ, reconciling the world to yourself and, and that we can be reconciled to you, that we can know you, that we can be forgiven, that we can be, be set, set up, stood up, raised up, resurrected, given new life, indwelt, empowered by your spirit to live lives according to the teaching of your word. Thank you. Lord Jesus, that you were willing to endure, to suffer all that you suffered just so that we could know you and have the eternal life that is found only in you. I pray, Lord, that you would just give us ears to hear this morning what you want to say to us as we approach your word and hear from your word the message of your gospel. Lord, may it find wide open hearts May our hearts be wide open to the grace and love and forgiveness and gentle, long-suffering mercy of our Savior. Thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you for the incredible privilege that we have, that you have revealed yourself to us and that we can know you and love you and serve you. I pray that blessing upon your church and your people this day. In Jesus' name, amen.